I really hate to stop just the piano, but uh, we need to get started to something, the rest of it here. So we do want to sing uh, as a beginning to our worship service here in class this morning. So welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Lee Weaver, hello. Good to see you, my friend. Uh, if you haven't sung this one in a while, take the words to heart. It is so sweet to trust the Lord. Just take him at his word. Let's stand as we sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to trust his cleansing word, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. Sounds great. Now turn and greet your neighbor in the Lord and then be seated. Good morning. I wanted to take a few minutes to talk to you about what we've got planned coming up. Uh, Friday night is our movie night. We're having a big crowd so far. If you've not signed up, make sure that when the roll comes by, you sign up. It doesn't cost you anything. I just want to know how much popcorn to buy. So get that together. Uh, there are a few tickets left here for uh, the gala concert at Southwest. I have probably six, seven. If you haven't gotten your tickets and you want to go February 24th, uh, be sure and get these last ones. Uh, the, they've been sold out at the seminary for quite a while. So know that this is the way it is. <laughs> you got two more? Okay. 
Yes. I think that's two more. I think that's two. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Okay, just pull it and then give me the rest. Okay. Okay, and I need to remind you. Okay, if we have two more, we got two more right over here. Okay. Um, the the movie night. There's been some confusion on that, and we've been changed around. So the movie night is right here, and you're going to come in the east door. It's Friday night. Is that what you're going to ask me? What's the movie? Yeah. Wild at heart. I don't think so. I think it's young at heart. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, see, like on the announcement up here, it says uh, Christ Chapel, but it's really in this room. So, and you're going to come in the east door, the main entrance, come across the great room, and up the elevator. So I hope to see you then. Uh, I have rodeo tickets for uh, February 3rd. Uh, Betty Reed has given us a bunch of tickets, a block of tickets from um, Plains Capital Bank. So if you want a ticket, try to see me this morning because I imagine they'll be gone this morning and I'll be sure and, and give you some. What day is that? February the 3rd at 2 o'clock. Yes. Thursday. Uh-huh. Okay, the other announcement I want to make uh, is uh, for sure we've got a pre-dinner for uh, madness. I'm going to look at the name to make sure I've got it. <laughs> Don't want any mistakes up here. Music Madness uh, concert, and uh, there's been some changes on that, and we're going to be in the family room, so I'm going to have to number the limit of people who can come because I can only get so many people in there. So uh, if you want to come, the last day you can sign up is February 21st, and I know it's early, but keep that in the back of your mind, and if you can come, sign up early because I'm going to have to cut it off. So... uh, that was a surprise to me. I'd planned on not having to do that, but we did. So we'll accept that for what it is. All right, anybody else for their last two tickets or so left here? I'll bring them to you. And remember to see me for the rodeo tickets, and I'm going to send the roll around, do this side first, and then swap to the other side. If you've already signed up, please do not sign up again. Thank you. Wild at heart. That's the story of Kyle's life, see? that's what. <laughs> Welcome to everyone, and uh, it's good to have our visitors here this morning. We usually just take a few minutes just to share anything that God's done in our lives this week that we would like to share with the class to, to praise him, using that to praise him for what he has been doing in our lives. And also, if you have prayer requests, we have the prayer request cards in the out on the table, and you can fill those out, and those will be prayed for when uh, we meet on Monday f- for prayer. I think we have uh, 
question or something to share. Roger. Yeah, I have a prayer request. I'm Roger McGrath. The, uh, my son out in the Seattle area cut his foot very badly about a week ago, and through the ineptitude of the emergency room that didn't give him a tetanus shot, didn't give him an antibiotic, didn't clean the wound, just stitched him up very badly, he has a staph infection. And it's, uh, he's being treated for it, but it's not, not uh, solved yet. So we do rec request a prayer for him. His, his name is Jeff McGrath. And also for Kathy, uh, my wife, uh, she's got some indications of a uh, progressing in one of her eyes to a detached retina. So we'd ask for prayer requests for her also. Thanks, I have a cousin, I have many cousins here in town, I have a cousin whose younger daughter had, uh, is underage and went to a party and had something to drink but did the right thing and got a designated driver. Unfortunately, the designated driver had also been drinking and rolled a car six times on Loop 820. And my cousin's daughter was able to pull the other girl out of the car before another car hit that car. And then the designated driver ran off and tried to make it look like my cousin's daughter had been driving but miraculously they both survived and uh, she's pretty beat up and she had surgery Thursday but she survived and none of the people on the scene could believe that they lived through that that must have been God's work thank you anything that you would like to share with us today before we get started well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on our time together and see what he has to say to us this morning. John, with me if you would. Father, we just uh, come to you this morning with uh, grateful hearts again as we approach your word and uh, hear what you have to say to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we do pray that you'll open our hearts and minds uh, to, to hear personally what you would have us do and what you would have us know. Father, we pray for Kyle this morning that you'll give him remembrance of what he studied and fill him with the Holy Spirit to deliver your words to us with authority and clarity from your inspired word. Father, we pray for our church that it will continue in your ministry perfectly as it should, expositorily teaching your word and ministering to others and ministering to the world, a church without walls. Father, we thank you for our wonderful country that we live in, and many of us are troubled about what is going on in our country, and we ask you to cause the gospel to prosper in our country and to save our country. And we thank you for this time we'll have together this morning, together as brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> we've been asking ourselves, or we've been discussing questions that Jesus asked people. Last week, we discussed the parable of the four soils. 
uh, the hard soil, the thorny, the shallow, and the soil that was productive as a picture of different responses to the gospel message. The seed is the same. The seed is the gospel message, but some men's hearts are not prepared to receive it. Today we're going to look at a series of questions. They all have the same format. It's basically this. If you love those, if you want to cheat and look ahead, this is in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? And finally, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? What we're going to see is a standard of living for the kingdom of God that is above and beyond that which the world practices. If you look at these questions in the context in which they're written, every one of them says, even the sinners love people who love them. Even the sinners do good to those who do good to them. Even the sinners will lend money to people if they expect it back. But you are called to live to a higher standard. Unfortunately, as you're going to see, this standard is pretty high. And to some of us, it is kind of a shock. So back up to verse 27, and we'll get a running start into these questions. This is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, is what we're in right now. Verse 27, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Let's stop right there. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, we live in a world, well, in the United States, where we are right now in 21st century America, we live in a world of nice people. Okay? I am not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have hardcore enemies. Some of you might. Some of you might have somebody that just really doesn't get along with you. But most of us, most of the time, are just nice. But let's look back up the page a little bit to verse 22. We're in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil, because of the Son of Man. Blessed are you when men hate you. You remember the lesson, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, where we talked about the fact that Jesus was doing these miracles and the miracles were attributed to Jesus being a follower of Satan. These miracles are being done by the power of the devil. And we quoted the verse that if the teacher is called the son of Beelzebub, how can we, the followers, expect to be treated any differently? Once again, last week's lesson, we spread the gospel. We sow the seed of the gospel. There are those who are going to respond negatively to that spreading of the gospel. 
We want to think everybody's going to respond well. We want to think everybody's going to say, oh, yes, I want that. Or at least we want them to say, well, that's okay for you, but I'm not interested right now. But what the Scripture leads us to believe is when we share the gospel thoroughly, there are those who are going to respond negatively to that message. I told you about the video that I watched over the uh, Christmas holidays. It was a debate about uh, between one of our current renowned atheists and a pastor. And the pastor's comment was, the modern-day atheists believe two things. One, there is no God, and two, we hate him. <laughs> because there is this vehement anger toward the things of God. If, if, it is preached thoroughly and correctly. Huh. Sometimes it doesn't sound very nice. Sometimes there are going to be people who respond negatively out of anger, and they are going to do evil toward us. The question in the Bible is not, are they going to do that? The question in the Scripture is, how are we going to respond when they do it. But we live in an age where we think everybody ought to be nice. And you know what? It is better to be nice. You ought to be nice. I ought to be nice. But what is the basis of that? Because God tells us to do good to those who hate us. We are to respond appropriately irregardless of the response that is directed toward us. Shall we have a show of hands? How many people think that's easy? It's not. It gets worse. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Why in the world would you want to do good to those who hate you? Come on, wake up. God said so. You might convert them. Think. You're heaping burning coals on their head. There's a lot of debate about what that verse means, but I like that version. What are you going to do with a billion and a half Muslims? Hmm. You're going to love them. You're going to do good to those who hate you. It's hard. It's going to get worse. Keep reading. Why would you do good to those who hate you? I'm going to tell you right now so you can fall asleep, so you can leave. I'm going to tell you the punchline to this whole lesson. Why do we do good to those who hate us? Because in doing so, we Imitate God. Then your reward will be great. This is the middle of verse 35. And you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Why do we do these things? 
We do these things because in doing so, we imitate the Father. Let's back up just a little bit. We're all nice people. We think we're all nice people. We believe in the core of our being that we're all nice people. And God comes along and offers us the gospel because we're nice people. And the scripture says, no, you're not nice people. The scripture says, you are at war with God. You are living in a state of war as an unbeliever with God. Yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes shall be saved. You have to remember the story in its proper context. We were the enemy in this story. We were the enemy and God did good for us even while we hated him. And having done so for us, we in turn do it for others. You remember the parable. The servant owed the master a bazillion dollars. That's a loose translation. <laughs> a bazillion dollars, and he couldn't pay. And the master said, Out of mercy, I'll forgive the debt. That servant goes to another servant who owes him a couple of bucks and says, pay up or I'm throwing you into the debtor's prison. And the master finds out. And he says, I forgave you a bazillion bucks and you can't forgive your master a couple of bucks. Forget it. I'm not going to show you mercy. Why do we love those who hate us? Because God loved those who hate us. Why do we do good to those who hate us? Because God did it for us. As long as we continue to believe that we're the nice people, we always have been the nice people, we always will be the nice people, and God chose us because we're the nice people, we're never going to understand the mercy that God gave us, and we're never going to understand why we need to give mercy to those who hate us. Be imitators of God. Now you've had the punchline. Unfortunately, all these other verses are real hard to do. It's real hard to do good to those who hate you. I have had people who hate me, okay? They're just not very nice to me. What do we do? How do we respond? There's the natural response, revenge. Strike back, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then, as Tevye says, all the world will be blind and toothless. We as believers are not allowed to respond in that way. We are to live 
to a higher standard because we have been saved by a higher God. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Cursing is verbal abuse. What is the natural response to verbal abuse? More verbal abuse. You let me have it, I let you have it back. What is our response? What ought our response to be? Verbal abuse? No. Verbal blessing? Huh. Pray for those who mistreat you. Why would you pray? What would you pray for for those who are mistreating you? Come on. You at least know the answer. You may not practice the answer, but you at least know the answer. Why would you pray for them? That they would come to God. They need salvation. I guess since we're talking about Fiddler on the Roof, you could pray the prayer though, right? Do you have a blessing for the czar? Bless the czar and keep him far away from us. (laughs) I don't think that's what is in mind here. The fact that they are cursing you, the fact that they are abusing you, demonstrates their need for salvation, their need for the grace that God wants to give them. And we are to pray that they receive that and accept it. Now, I do want to throw in one comment here. In the uh, There's other passages over in Matthew where it talks about the Sermon on the Mount and other passages. makes it very clear If you're being abused because you did something wrong, there's no virtue in that, okay? You know, if I poke you in the eye and you slug me with a two-by-four, I don't get, you know, points because I only slugged you and you hit me with a two-by-four. No, I got what I deserved by getting beat back. It's when you're not doing anything wrong when you are being obedient to what God wants you to do, that you get persecuted. If people hate you because you're a jerk, well, you need to stop being a jerk. If people hate you because you're a believer, well, bless them and pray for them because they need to accept Christ. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. This just isn't getting any easier, is it? What we're talking about here is not necessarily, eh, not necessarily a fist fight. What we're probably talking about here is an insult. Somebody walks up and just slaps you. You know, they're not beating you to pulp. They're not in a fight per se. They want to insult you. And what is your natural response when somebody insults you? You slap them back. You know, that's just what you do. We watched uh, last week the old Cary Grant movie, uh, Father Goose. I don't know if you remember it. You know, he's off on the island in the Pacific. And the, the uh, school teacher, French lady, uh, slaps him. Well, he just slaps her back. And she slaps him back. And he slaps her back. And finally she, I mean, 
Finally, they get married. Oh, wait. <laughs> they do. It's a strange story. But that is our natural response, right? We're not talking a fist fight here. We're talking about somebody insulting you by walking up and slapping you. And you are not to respond in kind. Huh. How did Jesus respond during the persecution that led to the crucifixion? He didn't. Huh. Think about that. Could he have responded? Yes. What is that passage about the legion of angels, you know, to come to protect him if he had wanted them? And as I've said it repeatedly in here, how many legions of angels would it actually have taken? You know, one angel on a bad day and the Roman army's gone. End of story. He had the ability to respond. He had the ability to stop it. But he chose to do the will of the Father. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How many of you... When somebody has cut you off in traffic, pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Come on, show of hands. You call them turkeys. That's a nice term. And that's not really an enemy. I mean, that's just stupidity on their part. But you see the point? How do we respond when people negatively respond to our presentation of the gospel, to our living out the gospel message in our daily life. How do people respond to us, and how do we respond to them? If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Why would somebody take your cloak? They're cold. <laughs> they need it. Huh? <laughs> oh, this is getting worse. Yeah, you'd be naked when you're done. Yeah. Redistribution of wealth. We're not going to go there. I don't think I want to touch it. <laughs> Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. How many of you give to everyone that asks for you to, you, to give something? I think, these, I, I think this was written before the day of direct mail uh, fundraising, robocalling. Just don't answer the phone. <laughs> Throw the mail away quick. You can't give to something that's against your belief. 
I don't know if you all remember uh, Oswald Chambers, noted for a number of his writings. Um, I've mentioned him in here before. He and his group of followers, they actually believed this. And if somebody asked them for something, they gave it to them. Subsequently, they didn't have much, so when people asked, they didn't have much to give. But they did try to live this. This is a way of living that stands in contrast to our modern mentality of get, get, get all you can, and the person who dies with the most toys wins. This is a recognition that the things of this life are temporary, they're passing away, and they're supposed to be used for furthering the kingdom message. Now, having said that, what we're really talking about here in context are people taking your things to get you because of persecution for the faith. This is all wrapped up in enemies, uh, people who hate you, people who despise you, people who want to do evil against you. And we are to respond to them not like the world responds, but like God responded to us. And that's the difference. We could have a long discussion, a long discussion, about the fact that we are not talking about the judicial system of the state in which you live at this point. We have laws against theft. We have laws against murder. We have laws against assault. And that's good. What we're talking about is your individual response when people insult you and strike you because of your faith. We're not talking here about grand theft auto, okay? That's not what we're dealing with here. We're talking about how can we imitate God in the community where God has put us. And we get to the next verse, which is one of the most famous statements in all the Bible. Do to others as you would have them do to you. What is this called? The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, let's think about it. Um, you're walking up to um, McDonald's or your favorite restaurant. And there's a guy outside and he says, give me 10 bucks for lunch. Okay? No, we won't have a show of hands. How many of you would give him the 10 bucks? I mean, just curiosity, okay? How do you know what he's going to do with those 10 bucks? Are you going to help him by giving him 10 bucks, or are you going to hurt him by giving the 10 bucks? And that's the dilemma that we face today. I can tell you what the best response is. Take him inside and buy him lunch. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. But doing unto others as you would have them do to you implies that to give someone something that would ultimately harm them is to not do good to them. It is not to help them by giving them something that's going to harm them. You know, if the person is a drug addict and comes up and just asks you, can I have money to buy drugs, you would say no. Why? Because you know that that is harmful to their well-being. And this is where we start to get in trouble. How many of you have ever heard of the platinum rule? I'm not making this up. The platinum rule. This is the golden rule, right? Huh? No, you'll hate it. Yeah, you like platinum. Okay. No. <laughs> the rules? That's the golden rule? We live in a relativistic, postmodern world. And there are people in our world today who don't like this golden rule. Why? Because it implies that you know what is best for the other person. Isn't that arrogant of you? To think that you know what's best for the other person? Now, in reality, if the other person's a drug addict and is standing in front of you, you probably do know what's best for him. But there are those who have become to believe that the golden rule is an act of arrogance on our part because we are imposing a standard on other people. So they have come up with the platinum rule, which is something along the lines, do unto others as they would have done unto them. Give them what they want. It is a relativistic standard that I get to determine what is best for me. Now, there is arrogance if I think I know what is best for you. Unfortunately, for the relativist, we also believe that the Word of God is inspired, it is from God, and it does tell us how we ought to live our lives. So when we learn God's word and we use that to determine what is good for the other, there's no arrogance involved. There's the recognition that God has given us truth and we are to share that with other people. Wisdom. Go ahead, Jerry. You're just dying to ask something. Oh, I got 20 minutes of what you're talking about. <laughs> can you do it in 30 seconds? I'll do it as quick as I can. You know, you can you can give. I mean, I'm involved with another. That's great. Hmm? I'm not going to take that you're right on target. 
In your path. Yeah, no, yeah, but but what he may not need at that point is ten bucks in cash. He needs, your ministry. He needs something. Right. He does need something. Right. I liked what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. I actually reread this yesterday along this path, and he said we have this general statement: "Do unto others as you would have them." But there's there aren't a lot of specifics. You know, we would like God to give us very detailed instructions. If thou art walking into McDonald's and man asks for ten bucks, this is what you do. He said, it's very general and it's not very specific. And he says, but, comma, there are some general rules that we should probably follow. If you never deny yourself anything you're probably not giving enough money. If there's not something that you want, but you don't get because you're giving money, you're probably not giving enough money. If it doesn't hurt sometimes how much you're giving, you're probably not giving enough money. And to whatever sort, I mean, we're talking here of time, money, whatever it is that you're giving. We live, we live, as I pointed myself, in very comfortable times. This is a radically different way of looking at life. Why do we do this? Because in doing so, we imitate God. I mean, let's think about this just one moment. Jesus Christ, God, takes on human form. Let's stop right there. Most of us view that as not that big a deal. Why? Because we believe that human form is the apex of created things. What is the big deal? But let's look at humanity compared to divinity and Christ took humanity on for us. Huh. It's like us becoming slugs to do something. Who knows what? He did that for us and now he wants us to do that for others by ministering to them where they are. It's difficult. And it's difficult 
even more when we recognize that the world may hate us for doing so. And that's fine. Back to the soil of last week. There are the hardened hearts that will not respond. There are the, those with the rocky soil that will be shallow and will fall away when things get difficult. There are those with the thorns that the joy of the gospel will be choked out. And all of that shouldn't surprise us. Yet we are to respond like God. We are not God. We're not Mormons. We don't become gods. We are not God, but we are to be imitators of God's mercy. Let's keep going. It gets worse. Actually, we finally get around to the questions. <laughs> if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Let's look at the moral standards, okay? I'm going to love you if you love me back. And Christ is saying, everybody will do that. You can find good pagans who will love those who love them back. That's what he's saying. So is he saying we as believers shouldn't love those who love us because that's what the pagans do? No. He's telling us we should be above and beyond that. We should go beyond merely loving people that will love us in return. Above and beyond. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. What is a loan that you don't expect to be paid back? It is a gift. That's what it is. Not all of life can be boiled down to calculations of I give a dollar, I get a dollar back. It shouldn't be that way. Sometimes we just need to give. I'm a big fan of if you give money to a charitable organization, you can take it off on your income tax and that's a good thing. It is a charitable contribution. Great. But you know, sometimes you need to give money whether there's a tax deduction or not. You just do it because it needs to be done at that point in time. I don't know what that is in your particular life. I don't know what that looks like in your particular situation. But at some point, we need to remove the calculation. And the calculation's fine. If you give money to the church, by all means... Write it off on your income tax. The church gets more money that way. I mean, it's, that's fine. But, comma, there are times when we need to not be involved in the calculations of what can I get out of this. Rather, we just need to give. Go. I think, uh, I think we need to 
great. That's great. Right, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to tell you. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, give this much of money to this particular group because of this particular reason. I'm telling you that God lavishly bestows his grace on all of us, and we are to, in turn, lavishly bestow the grace that God has given us on others. And as you said, what that looks like may mean giving money to this church. We attend this church. We should give money to this church. But it also may mean giving money to some good organization, locally, nationally, whatever. Great. Go for it. It may mean giving the neighbor a sack of groceries because they're out of work. It may mean giving them a carload of groceries because they're out of work and expecting nothing back from them what does it look like it's what you how you respond to god's movement telling you how to bestow his grace wherever you happen to be now we do it in wisdom we do it you know intelligently god isn't calling us to be stupid but there are those who believe that generosity in and of itself is stupid. And they look at God and go, why in the world would God bestow grace on all of these people when, they don't, when they're not all going to respond? Well, that's what God does. That's who God is. For God so loved. How do we respond we are to share that to the world around us. No, I am not going to stand up here and give you a detailed program. I will be quite honest. These verses scare me to death. Okay? But the question is, how are you, how am I going to respond? How are you, how am I going to show God's grace to a world that is in desperate need of it. Are we going to act just like the good pagans? I don't use that in a derogatory term. It's simply those who have not accepted Christ. In the Matthew version of the Sermon on the Mount, we have the story of going the extra mile. You remember the picture, right? And we've talked about this before, but it is very pertinent to this discussion. A Roman soldier could force you to carry his pack one mile. That's why they had those mile markers. A Roman soldier could force you to carry your pack, his pack one mile. Or he could kill you. Okay, take your pick. So, you're the Judean young man, a Roman soldier grabs you, 
hands you his pack and says, carry. And for one mile, you are grumbling to yourself, to yourself, not out loud, because you're having to carry the pack for this wicked, evil Roman soldier who has conquered your country. And at the end of that mile, you hit that mile marker and you drop that pack on the ground. You have fulfilled your obligation. I'm walking back home. And that's what the Roman soldier expects. That's how he expects you to respond. But let's just say, purely hypothetically, that you reach that mile marker and you keep walking. What is that Roman soldier going to think? Well, for the first quarter of a mile, he's going to think, this idiot didn't see the mile marker. What a doofus. But at a half a mile, he's going to start thinking, what's up here? What's this guy doing? At three quarters of a mile, he's going to turn to you and say, why in the world are you doing this, you stupid person? Then, then you can turn to the Roman soldier and say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Why do we as a Christian community so often not have a voice in the community in which we live? Because we have not gone the extra mile. If your charitable giving consist of what the government takes from you and forces you to give and distributes as it sees fit, and I'm not going to argue about the goodness or validity of certain government programs, but if that's all you're doing, that which the Roman soldier can force you to do, we will never have a voice in the community because we will never have gone the extra mile. We will never have demonstrated to a dying world the love and mercy of God. Let's keep reading. But love your enemies, verse 35, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Do good to your enemies. Pray for them. Lend to them without expecting anything in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. I'm still waiting for somebody to ask me the question. Y'all are being too nice to me today. Go ahead. Sure. It seems to me, is, don't you think it's implied that indeed you do give um, money, a $10 bill hmm? or whatever, to someone that's unworthy? Yes. Okay. They're definitely unworthy. So they don't have to be worthy Mm-mm. for you to give Mm-mm. to charity. Her observation is they don't have to be worthy to receive this gift we're giving them, they, whether they're worthy, unworthy, or not, 
because we were unworthy when God bestowed his mercy on us. I mean, I have the the passage from Romans up here. We won't even go through it all. But basically it says we were pretty lousy. We weren't seeking after God. We weren't seeking to do good things. We were doing our own thing and pursuing evil every chance we got. And God loved us. <coughs> Sometimes when you talk about this passage, there is a discussion about the whole idea of rewards. It begins to sound mercenary at times. Or people begin to think, oh, here I am doing these good things in order to get credit, in order that I might be saved. And you need to remember. You need to remember the picture again. That's why I started with it. In our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God, before our conversion... We weren't good people doing good things, trying to get credit with God. We were enemies. That's what we were. Because God bestowed mercy on us, because God saved us, then, now, we are in a position to reflect that to the world around us. And God says, if you do so... That is a good thing, and at that point, you are demonstrating to the world that, in fact, you are a child of God. If you believe that the doing of the good produces the becoming the child of God, you've got it all backwards. You still think that you're a good guy doing good things, and God's going to reward you for it and give you salvation. No. You're the enemy. You're the other side of the equation. By definition, the enemy is not doing good to you. By definition, the enemy is not showing mercy to you. God loved us when we were the enemy Therefore, in our relationships with enemies, with our relationships with others, we show that mercy to the world around us. And the final verse, be merciful just as your father is merciful. We, as individuals... We are talking here as Christian individuals. We are not talking about the judicial system. We're not talking about judges throwing out every case in a court of law. That's a different situation. In Romans, we are told that the officers of the court hold the sword for a reason. They are to punish evildoers. We as individuals are called to be merciful Because mercy has been bestowed on us, we are to show the same mercy to those around us. What is the conclusion to all this? We are imitators of God when we show love to those who don't love us. Bottom line, we are imitators of God. 
It is easy for me to love you if you love me back. I should do that. I mean, I, I should. I should love those who love me. But God wants us to go the next mile and love those who hate us. We are to do good without an expectation of getting good back. And then we will receive a reward. The first time I wrote this, I said we are to do good without an expectation of getting a reward. And then we will get a reward. The difference is from whom are we expecting the reward. If I do good to you, expecting you to do good back to me, that's a false expectation. But when I do good for you, my Father in heaven smiles. And he says, that's just what I did. Now, do I get proud? Do I get boastful? Do I get arrogant because I've done that? Some people do. But like the servant who had been forgiven the bazillion dollars and forgives the debt of a couple of dollars, he should be sitting there thinking, I'm not close. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride because I was forgiven a bazillion dollars. How are we to live with our enemies? Love them, do good to them, give without expecting anything back. Bless them and pray for them. And, oh, yes, do these things for your friends, too. <laughs> We're not getting rid of that part of the morality, okay? God is calling us to a higher standard. He is not calling us to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth standard. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that as a limitation of revenge, where I would poke, you would poke my eye out and I'd kill you for doing it. No, there was a limit. This is as far as you can go and no further. But in the age of grace, God is calling us as individuals to bestow mercy because we have received mercy. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray, Lord, that we would become aware of the mercy that you have given us so that we will in turn give mercy to those around us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.